Amen, friends. While there is so much to lament in our world, and there is so much to grieve in our world, those who've come to know the Lord through his son, Jesus Christ, are able to grieve with hope. And we have hope because of the grace that God has shown us through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, And we're gonna hear about that grace and that hope in God's word uh, this morning. So please join me again in a brief word of prayer before we look at God's word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of all grace. And we pray, Lord, that you would stun us this morning with your grace by showing us how you are a God whose very own family is full of sinners. Indeed, you sent your son into the world for that very reason, to save and gather sinners and adopt them into your own family. Show us this grace this morning. Open our eyes to behold your glory and to rest in the grace and glory and truth that is in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I wanna invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. If you're using the Bible that we've provided, you'll find the passage on pages 21 and 22. And uh, I wanna say, if you don't own a Bible of your own, I wanna encourage you to take the copy that we provided as a gift from us to you. Uh, there's nothing more than we would want you to have than a copy of your very own, uh, a very own copy of God's word for yourself. I wanna encourage you to open to the passage so that you can follow along when I read it in a few moments. And then I wanna also encourage you to keep it open as we'll be referencing the passage throughout our time together. Uh, I've said in weeks past that the main point of the book of Genesis is to trace the line of descendants through whom the Messiah, the Savior, would come. So if you think back to Genesis 3, verse 15, when God cursed the serpent for tempting Adam and Eve to sin, he said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head heal. So right after mankind falls into sin, God promises to send a child, an offspring of the woman who would crush the serpent's head and rescue mankind from sin. And from that point forward, Moses begins tracing the line of individuals through whom that that child, that Messiah, that Savior would come. Now you might think as you read Genesis, wow, what, what a privilege. What a privilege to be included in the line of individuals who would eventually produce the Messiah. What, what a privilege to be a part of God's very own genealogy, to be a part of God's family line. And that, that would be a privilege, right? Out of the billions of people that have ever lived, only a select few had that privilege. And that might lead you to think, wow, there must have been something special about these individuals. 
They must have been especially righteous individuals, standout human beings, far more devout than all the rest of humanity. I mean, that would be an understandable assumption, considering that they would live in the family line of the Messiah. But if that's what you're thinking, you'd be wrong. A dead wrong, in fact. Think about some of the characters we've met so far who are in the family line of the Messiah. Noah got drunk and passed out naked in his tent. Abraham lied and threw his wife under the bus to protect his own neck. Sarah basically forced her husband to sleep with another woman so she could have a child of her own. Isaac lied and threw his wife under the bus to protect his own neck. What we found so far is that far from being all-star individuals or spiritual elites whom God had to choose because they were so much better than everyone else, we found instead that God's family is full of sinners. And if anyone's not convinced that this is the case, God lovingly gave us Genesis 27 to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that his family is indeed full of sinners. I want you to follow along as I read the passage for us now. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 27, verse 1, and I'm going to finish in chapter 28, verse 9. I'm going to read the whole thing for us. This is God's word. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, My brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, 
I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you, really, you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered him, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven. And of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and bless be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword shall you live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. 
Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Uh, There's a lot to consider in this passage, a lot that we won't be able to get to today. What I want to do in our time is focus focus us on what I think the main lesson is from Genesis 27 and the first part of 29. If you're taking notes, the main lesson I think Genesis 27 is teaching us today is that it is only by God's grace that any of us are part of God's family. It is only by God's grace that any of us are part of God's family. And to show that, We're going to consider this passage in three movements. I'm going to walk through the text quickly, explaining what it means. Then we're going to consider how it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then we're going to meditate on that one point of application, that it is only by God's grace that any of us are part of God's family, which I think is the main point of this passage today. So, Let's go ahead and look at the chapter together. I hope you have your Bible open in front of you. Again, we're going to move quickly because we have a lot of ground to cover. So as the chapter opens, if you look there in Genesis 27 verse 1, we notice that Isaac is old and it says his eyes were dim, right? So many years have passed since the events of Genesis 26. Isaac is now basically on his deathbed and as such has really poor eyesight, which we probably already picked up, becomes a key detail in this story. And because he's at the end of his life, he wants to give a blessing to his son Esau. Now, we might read this passage, and we might read about Isaac wanting to bless Esau and think, oh, that's, that's really sweet, I also like to pray blessings over my children or loved ones, but what Isaac is wanting to do here is very, very different from that. 
In Genesis, when a father blesses his sons, it's a very big deal because the blessings they pronounce over their sons aren't wishes, aren't hopes, but binding prophecies. What they say about their sons predicts and, in a sense, determines the course of their sons' lives. And Isaac wants to bless, he wants to prophetically bless his son Esau. And so in verses 1 to 4, Isaac tells Esau to go hunt, kill something, bring it back, make me a tasty meal, and I will bless you before I die. And so Esau goes out. But then we learn in verses 5 to 17, Rebekah Isaac's wife must have been lingering around Isaac's tent close enough to hear what was going on because she overhears Isaac's instruction to Esau. But Rebekah doesn't want Isaac to bless Esau. She wants him to bless Jacob. Perhaps because she's recalling God's promise to her in Genesis 25 that the younger son Jacob would rule over the older son Esau. Or... Maybe it's because Jacob is her favorite son, which we also learned in Genesis 25. And so she hatches a plan, right? She tells Jacob, hey, listen, your dad wants to bless Esau, but we're not gonna let that happen. We're gonna get that blessing for you. Here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna go get me a couple goats from the flocks. I'll kill them. I'm gonna make a meal from them, and you're gonna bring that meal to him to eat, and he'll give the blessing to you. And Jacob's like, but mom, you gave birth to Esau. You know he's hairy as all get out, right? I know dad's eyesight is bad, but there's no way that we can pull this off. If dad catches us, he's not going to bless me. He's going to curse me. Right? But Rebecca's like, don't worry about it, son. I'll take the curse. Just do what I say. So he brings her the goats, and this is where it gets good. Right? She takes Esau's clothes so that perhaps Jacob would smell like Esau. Then she takes goat skins, probably from the goats that she just killed, and puts the goat skins on his hands and his neck so that if Isaac touches him, he'll feel the hair there and think it's Esau. But you gotta give it to them. This is a bold deception. Sending in the other son as if the father who raised him isn't going to know it's the other son, even though his eyesight is bad. This is a bold plan. Just straight up, we are going to lie to him, and you are going to get the blessing. And we're not going to lie in some subtle way. I'm going to put goat skins on you so that if he feels you, he's going to think you're the hairy son, Esau. Like bold deception, blatant lying, not a white lie. Not a subtle lie, not trying to just come in, you know, like a, like a serpent in the grass and make it, you know, get away with what you want without the other person realizing it. No, just up front, we're lying. You're going to lie with me. We're going to pull this off. And they go ahead with the plan. In verses 18 to 29, Jacob goes into Isaac's tent. Isaac asks, who is there? Because he can't see well. And Jacob tells him, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I brought you the meal that you asked for. Straight up lies to his father. Isaac's a bit surprised because he wouldn't have expected Esau to be back so soon. So he's suspicious, and so he asks Jacob to come near. Come near, my son. 
so I can feel your hands and see if they're hairy or not. Jacob comes near, Isaac feels him, but he's still not convinced. He asks Jacob again if he's Esau. Jacob lies again and says that he is, and so Isaac tells him to bring him the food. Jacob brings him the food. Isaac eats, and then he blesses Jacob. And I want you to look at the blessing he pronounces in verses 27 to 29. Look down there with me. Verse 28 there, you see, dew of heaven, fatness of the earth, grain and wine. These speak of immense material blessings and wealth. Not only that, but Jacob, or one of Jacob's descendants, will rule like a king over the nations of the earth. The nations will bow down to him. And then we see that key line there. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. In this blessing, Isaac is transferring to Jacob all of the promises God made to Abraham. Abundant wealth, check. Kings will come from you, check. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Whoever blesses you, I will bless, check. Isaac has transferred to Jacob, the liar and deceiver, all of the promises he made to Abraham. But the drama doesn't end there, right? As soon as Jacob leaves the tent, Esau gets back from his hunt, right? If you've ever seen one of those shows where someone has gone into like a room or a building, let's say they've gone into a bank and they have deceived the bank tellers and they've kind of committed a robbery, they're in, a, they're in an outfit and then the person they're impersonating, you know, they leave the building and the person they're impersonating comes back and the bank tellers are like, wait a second, you were just here, we gave you all the money and then the alarms start going off and then the person who committed the, the, the robbery is like running down the street because they're like, they've just gotten back and I've got to get away. This is, this is what's happening here. Jacob walks out, Esau walks in and mayhem ensues. He brings his father the meal. Father's like, well, who are you? I'm Esau, your son. Wait, I just ate your meal. Who was it that brought it to you? It must have been Isaac. And Isaac, or it must have been Jacob. And what does Isaac do? He shakes violently. With all of the strength that the old man has left in him, he is violently shaking because he recognizes that he's been had. And then Esau breaks out weeping bitterly because the blessing that he thought was gonna be his has been given to, Isaac, given to Jacob. And Isaac can't bring back that promise and give it to Esau. The deceiver has gotten away with it, and he has obtained the blessings. And as a result, Esau plots to kill Jacob. And then someone finds out about it, tells Rebekah, and so Rebekah tells Jacob that he needs to leave and go stay with her family in Haran until Esau has cooled down. Then in the first nine verses of chapter 28, Isaac sends Jacob away to Rebekah's family to find a wife and sends him on his way by reaffirming his blessing to him and making it crystal clear that Jacob has inherited the promises made to Abraham. Jacob has inherited the promises God made to Abraham. Lying, deceiving, cheating Jacob. The Messiah will come from the family line of a man who lied 
boldly lied, on multiple occasions lied, in order to inherit God's promises. But it's not just Jacob whose moral compass is broken. Literally everyone in this chapter is messed up. We consider Isaac. Here's a man who would have absolutely known that God promised that the older Esau would serve the younger Jacob. And yet here he is at the beginning of the chapter intent on giving his blessing to the older Esau instead of the younger Jacob. Not only that, but he's pictured as a man who is controlled by his appetites. Five different times the passage tells us that about the delicious food that Isaac loves. He is more concerned about his appetite and getting his delicious food than he is about properly caring for and passing on the blessing that God entrusted to him. Then you have Rebecca, just like Sarah before her, usurped her husband's authority. She takes matters into her own hands and devises a plot to get her son to lie to her own husband. A plot that results in her having to send her son Jacob away because her other son wants to kill him. Then you have Esau, who knows that he sold the blessing to Jacob in chapter 25. Yet when his dad tells him that he wants to give him the blessing, he just casually forgets that he sold the blessing. And then he plots to murder Jacob, filled with so much anger that he wants to kill him, prompting Rebecca to send Jacob away. This entire family is a mess. This entire family is full of sinners. And yet, unbelievably, Isaac, Rebecca, and Jacob are all members of God's chosen family. These are the very people through whom the Messiah will come. These are the very individuals the Messiah will be a direct descendant of. If there is one thing this chapter makes clear, it is that it is only by God's grace that they were members of God's family. And this isn't the only chapter that makes that clear. As we continue through the Old Testament, and meet the individuals who will form the family line of the Messiah, we don't encounter spiritual elites, but sinners in need of God's grace. Right? We meet sinners like Judah, who attempted to murder his brother, Joseph. Like Rahab, who was a Canaanite prostitute. Like David, who was a murderer and an adulterer, we meet liars and cowards, adulterers and prostitutes, idol worshipers and wicked kings. To put it plainly, the family line of the Messiah is full of sinners. Sinners who were part of God's family, not because of who they were, but in spite of who they were. And the fact that the Messiah's family was full of liars like Jacob prostitutes like Rahab or murderous adulterers like David was to show the type of people that Jesus, the Messiah, came to save. He came to save sinners. He came to graciously share his 
promised salvation with a sinful people and adopt them into his family, not because of who they were, but in spite of who they were. I mean, I just want you to think about this. This is very real. This is very personal for you. I want you to look with me at what Rebecca says to her son, Jacob, in verse 13. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. You want to know why the curse that she deserved for sinning against Isaac, her husband, didn't actually fall on her? Because the great descendant of her family line, the Messiah, bore the curse of her sin on the cross, on that tree, dying in her place, bearing the full weight of God's justice against her sins and against the sins of all who would trust in him. Friends, your sins and my sins have brought us under God's curse, but Jesus Christ came to die in our place to bear that curse on the tree so that we sinners could be brought into God's family. It is only by God's grace that any of us are part of God's family. He came to save sinners. And he did that by living a life of perfect obedience to God. The life that we should have lived, but none of us has. He was never controlled by his appetites like Isaac. He never took matters into his own hands like Rebekah. He never lied and deceived others like Jacob. He never sinned. And then he went to the cross to bear the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Right? Peter says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus bore the sins of the members of his family in his own body. He bore Abraham's sins of being controlled by his fear and throwing his wife under the bus. He bore Rebecca's sins of not trusting God and taking matters into her own hands. He bore Jacob's sins of living a life of deception. And if you've trusted in him, he has borne your sins in his body on that tree. He's borne your sins of arrogance and pride, of lust and lying, of adultery and addiction, of indifference and callousness, of gossip and greed, of fear and failing to trust him. And he did this so that you might be brought from spiritual death to spiritual life and adopted as a child into God's very own family. Friends, Jesus' family is full of sinners. Sinners like you and me. Out of my non-Christian friend, I wonder if that surprises you. I wonder if you've ever thought that you couldn't possibly become a follower of Jesus because you've just done way too many bad things. Or that God would, would never forgive you because of what you've done. Or, or you're just not good enough to be a Christian. If you've thought those things, let me let you in on a little secret. None of us are good enough to be Christians. None of us are good enough to be Jesus' followers. Nobody in this room who follows Jesus is good enough to follow him. All of us have done bad things. All of us have shameful things in our past. All of us are sinners. The only reason that anyone is he- here today is a member of God's family, God's family, is because God 
is exceedingly gracious. And he will show that grace to you if you would turn from sin and trust in him. But you might say, John, you you just don't know what I've done. You you don't know the sins that I've committed, the shame that I feel, the guilt that I carry around. There's no way that God could let someone like me into his family. You might be right. I, I don't know what you've done, but I do know that if your story includes things like sexual immorality, homosexuality, incest, and adultery, if it includes things like drunkenness, drug addiction, and substance abuse, or if it includes things like lying, cheating, and stealing, you're going to fit right into God's family. And I know that because these are the very stories we find in Scripture of the very people Jesus calls to be his brothers and sisters. Friend, there is no sin so great that it would keep God from loving you or welcoming you into his family. One author reflecting on this reality wrote this. She said, if you've been deceitful or hateful, if you've used or destroyed other people to get what you wanted, if you've touted your religious credentials to impress other people when in reality you wanted nothing to do with God himself, welcome to the family. If you've taken God's generous provision to you for granted, if you've doubted God's promises, If you've presumed upon God's protection while also ignoring him, we can see the family resemblance in you also. If you have no hope to be accepted into God's family other than the perfect record of your righteous brother Jesus, then you can be sure you found your forever family. No one gets into God's family by being born into it. You must be reborn into it. And no one gets into God's family through good behavior. The only way any of us become part of this family is by grace through faith. Friends, that's the message for you today. If you would turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, God will freely pardon you and welcome you into his family and make you one of his very own children. It is only by God's grace that any of us here are members of God's family. And to my brothers and sisters in Christ, the same grace that God showed you when he saved you is the same grace that he continues to show to you today. If you're feeling discouraged today because of the ways that you've struggled with sin this past week or this past month, if you've sinned as a parent this week, if you've failed as a spouse, if you weren't faithful as an employee, if you struggle to obey as a child, please know that God isn't gonna kick you out of his family because of your struggles. He is an exceedingly gracious father who sent his son to die for all of your sins, past, present, and future. God saved you knowing full well the ways that you would continue to struggle with sins throughout the course of your life, just like Abraham did, just like Isaac did, And just like Jacob continued to struggle throughout the course of their lives. God doesn't save us by his grace and then require us to save ourselves the rest of the way by keeping all of his rules. He saves us by his grace. He keeps us by his grace. And he will bring us home by his grace. Kids, I want you all to listen for a minute. That this message of God's grace towards sinners 
is for you too. Uh, If you've been raised in a Christian home especially, you might be tempted to think that you need to earn your way into God's family by keeping his rules and obeying his commandments. And while obeying God is always good, we don't want to make the mistake of thinking that our obedience is the reason God welcomes us into his family. The only way to enter into God's family is by his grace through faith in Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection. You know, kids, on the flip side, you might be tempted to compare yourself to other kids who haven't been raised in a Christian home and who don't follow Jesus. And I want you to remember who God came to save. If you see them doing things that you would never do in a million years, you shouldn't respond by looking down your nose at, at them. You should remember that Jesus came to save sinners. You never know if one of those kids is the next Apostle Paul or the next Spurgeon or the next Jacob. God came to save sinners. So you should take those as opportunities to tell your friends about the grace that God extends to all through his son, Jesus Christ. And to everyone here, there's obviously numerous applications that we can draw from this. But the one that I want us to close with is that this should produce humility in us. God's family is full of sinners. This church is full of those who are completely dependent on God's grace day in and day out. God hasn't saved us because of us. He saved us in spite of us. Right, if you've ever been to a large enough family reunion, then you've probably had the experience of looking around and thinking, there's some interesting characters in my family. Maybe even wondering quietly, though you wouldn't say it out loud, how could I possibly be related to some of these people? Like, there's some interesting cats in my family. I've had that experience for sure. I hope my mom and dad don't listen to this sermon later online. If you've had that experience, though, then you know something of what it's like for Jesus with his family. When Jesus comes to his family reunion, he looks around and he sees only sinners. But unlike us, he doesn't wonder how he could possibly be related to us. No, Jesus looks around and he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters because Jesus came to save sinners and bring them into God's family. Friend, it's only by God's grace that any of us are members of God's family. Let's live by that grace today. Let's rest and rejoice in that grace today. Let's extend grace to others, knowing the weaknesses and sins we struggle with, and let's hold out that grace to a world that is desperately in need of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace towards sinners. We we really can't comprehend the fact that your family is full of sinners. And we are so grateful that you have shown mercy to us and brought us into your family. We pray, Lord, that through the preaching of the gospel here and around the world today, you would be bringing more sinners into your family. 
and showing showing them the grace that you've shown us. We praise you, Lord, for the grace and mercy that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to live by that grace today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.